to look at it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Number 376. Remain seated. We sing this song, Take Time to Be Holy.
significance and meaning to them are people are saved or people are lost saved or lost people like to know that and hear that but that is the truth from what the bible says saved or lost and i like that solid rock song because that's what we try to stand on we don't always stand as we should on the word of god but it is the rock we stand on uh, a man said to another man who's very old what is the secret of your long life what is the secret of your long life 
The man said very simply, I was born a long time ago. Looking <laughs> for some kind of formula, some kind of online pill or liquid, liquid something you ingest. No, it's just that you live a long time, you are old. And so you don't have to be old and live a long time to have some kind of wisdom. You can have wisdom beyond your years. You can have wisdom in any part of your life. But it all depends upon what you're seeking after and where you're going to to get your wisdom. What book of the Bible do you go to to find some wisdom? What book of the Bible do you go to to find some wisdom? Psalms. Psalms is helpful. You think about the book of Proverbs, don't you? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Somebody said um, wisdom is or experience is the best teacher. But the quote continues. For fools is the only teacher. And that's a sad thing. You want to get wisdom and you gain experience, but you don't always want to experience things to know that you shouldn't have done something. Wisdom is preventative as well. Proverbs chapter 3. Now, in this long chapter, there are three verses that are really well known. A lot of times these verses are wrote, written down in a Bible for someone who's graduated high school from college. So within the 35 verses, there are three verses that are very well known. And I want you to connect, I want to connect these three verses with one key word. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5 says, Trust in the Lord. Let's read together when you find it. Okay? Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5, 6 and 7. Together. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Those three verses are pretty much well known in this chapter. But there is one word that connects these three verses and the one key word connects other verses to itself. The word is trust. In verse number three, uh, verse number five, excuse me, trust, trust in the Lord. That's the key part, trust, trust, trust. And we'll find some other verse that connect to the word trust. Trust is the, the I call it the anchor word of this chapter and trust is reliance on something or someone. Trust means you depend on something or you trust in someone totally, without reservation. Now, you trust something without reservation, or you trust someone without reservation. If you really trust something or someone, your total confidence is in that person. Who are you looking for? Oh, she's right there. You said who? Come on. Anna's not here. She's in there. <laughs> you know that uh, Caleb is uh, Ethan is something else what was I saying before the little boy interrupted me trust trust, trust. trust is total, total reliance upon on things or on someone let's talk about trust on things trust is the key word here I was talking to a pilot of I forgot what airlines about three weeks ago and he says that technology is so good. I was asking simple layman's questions about, oh, what about if the plane runs out of gas? No, that'll never happen. It's got enough gas to last longer than where it's supposed to land and expectations, something like that. What about uh, engine stating and things like that? He said, not to worry about anything. What about bad weather? He said, no, we got no worries about that. I said, so you're gonna trust the airplane? He says, I trust technology. He says, I trust that the plane can land itself. He says, as a matter of fact, I put it all up pilot, when I land this passenger airplane all the time, fog, rain, doesn't matter to him. He says, I trust my equipment and he can be sleeping on autopilot, it'll land the plane safely. I said, oh, you have a lot of confidence in your, your uh, equipment. He says, I do. He said, things are much better than it was 30, 40 years ago. And I said, what about if the pilot knocks out and the passenger comes up? Is anybody going to fly this airplane? He says, that'll never happen. <laughs> if it happens, the co-pilot put an autopilot, it'll land. I said, my wife ought to listen to you because she's afraid of flying. And so there's complete trust and confidence in the equipment. That's something, something that you trust. But then there's trust in people, reliance on someone where you actually have confidence in that person. Um, trusting in someone is also important. Uh, you trust someone because you just know from experience or from what the reputation is, this person is trustworthy. Now, uh, some people have the character and the integrity that you can trust them. 
some people have by their history, a reputation, a testimony that they are trustworthy. And you feel pretty good about that. Now, um, when it comes to the pilot, when I see a pilot and the crew get them, come through security and all that, I look at them. If I do have a chance to watch them pass, but if I'm early enough, I'm in line. I look at them. They all look so professional. They all dressed in uniforms. They don't look like they're tipsy. They're not untucked in their shirt. Their hat's not on crooked like you see people wear. They look pretty sharp. There's not even facial hair on them. They look pretty like somebody you can look up to and trust to fly your airplane, get you there, get you back, and so on. And see if confidence. Now, did you know that a long time ago, uh, the old-time Methodist could get a bank loan as a farmer, or farmers get a bank loan as old-time Methodist, on the, on the strength that they're members of the Methodist Church. Can I help you? Yes, sir, I need to get $5,000 loan for this year. It's been a bad year, but I got to get some some seed and some fertilizer and stuff to get ready for the next year. It's been a bad year, but next year's going to be better. I just believe so. Okay, how much do you need? I need $5,000. $5,000? Yeah, I got some animals to replace and some equipment to repair and buy this and buy that. I just got to get some tied me over. You know what the guy would say at the bank? Well, okay. Do you have any collateral? The bank, the farmer would say, well, I'm a member of the Methodist Church. Oh, you are? Well, come right in. Okay, sign over here. Okay, there you are, sir. You're good to go. They had such a reputation, a testimony that you could believe what they said and they meant what they said. A handshake was like a contract to them. Uh, you could you could trust the man to pay back the loan because of his integrity and his personal character. And in those places back then, you trust everybody knew everybody. You dared not break your word. And so, on the strength of someone's character and integrity, you could trust that person totally. Now, is there another person you can trust totally besides a human being? Somebody else you can trust? Now, don't look at me like that and go, answer me, yes or no? Yes. Is there somebody else you can trust besides another human being? Yes. You trust totally, completely, totally? Yes. Give your whole heart and soul to him and he'll never fail you nor forsake you? Is there someone like that? Yes, yes. Well, you know, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even though people fail you and disappoint you and you can't trust them, you know, one of the best things in life is to have somebody you can trust, have confidence in, and depend on. They say, and it's going to be done. They say, not going to do that. You know, they're not going to compromise. It's a blessing to have people like that in your life where you can trust them totally, just about. Uh, he came out of prison a long time ago, after a period of time, went to watch that Japanese man. I think, man, they once bombed Japan, uh, bombed Pearl Harbor. I wonder if they're going to bomb us again. And so I looked at Hugh, watched him, checked him out. I looked at his Bible when he wasn't uh, lifted in the chair, chair sometime in the church. I grabbed his Bible, flipped through it. It's marked up. I see notes in the margin. I'm thinking, this guy must be reading his Bible. I keep watching, keep watching, watching him, have interaction with him. After a period of time, I think, this guy is learning to grow. This guy is really becoming a man of integrity and character. This wasn't so short, and then pretty soon I asked him if he'd like to teach a little kid's class. And he said, I've never done it before, but I'll give it a try. Did a great job, then taught the teenagers and so on. And uh, and then when I was going on a trip, when we lived in Naia, guess who came in the house, sit in my house? Who had rain over my house? Who had access to my library, to my refrigerator, to my kitchen, to my gold bullions and all that? Guess who had access to all of that? The former convict. And so... Uh, I felt like I could trust him. Therefore, that's an example. You can trust someone who has character and integrity, but you can't trust someone who's sketchy. You can't trust someone who is up and down. You cannot trust someone to drive your car if they are proven to be erratic. There's nothing better than to trust someone who you have full confidence in. Trust is a key word in this chapter. And so I want you to come to verse number five. Trust in the Lord. He says, with all thine heart. That really tells us, you better put all of your confidence, not in a man, but in Jesus Christ. Because a man, a man, a man has the potential to let you down big time. A man has the potential to disappoint you big time. A man has the potential to fail you big time. Therefore, you don't put all of your confidence in man with all of thine heart. You put it in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll never be disappointed. Now, you got to think about that when people fail you. Because surely as you breathe 
And as you can eat and digest food, you're going to run some people in your life that you want to trust and you want to believe in them, but they will fail you. And you're going to get very sour. But look, look beyond them and look to Jesus Christ who will never fail you nor forsake you. Verse number five, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now, I want you to see the word trust is the key word here. If you trust him, you do some things. First of all, verse number one, three one. If you trust him, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. If you really trust the Lord like you say that you do, you will not forget his law. You will not forget his word. In other words, you will not, not ignore his words. Now, when all is calm and all is bright, it's easy to put confidence in God's word. It's when things are up and down, when things are hard, when things, when you got under pressure, uh, that's, that's when it's easy for us to forget his word. He says, forget not my law. Forget not my law. Do you know why some people get into all kinds of monkey business, meaning trouble? It's because they have forgotten some things about themselves and about the consequences. A Christian is supposed to forget. No, remember his words and not forget it when he's under pressure. That's when you need to remember God's words when under pressure. That's when you need the most. I like sports and when I watch a few sports highlights, I see that when a man feels that five foot putt is gonna earn him a million plus dollars, if he makes this putt, you know what they do? They do their little thing, you know, they get over here, they take forever to putt, forever to putt. They go over here, they do this. They hold the, they hold their putt like that, you get that line here. And they're looking at the grass, Nap used to call it the lay of the ground. You cannot see standing up the, the, the slope, the kind of grass, the direction it's facing, the wind, the sun, all these kind of factors. Who's all about these things? And then he'll putt. As he puts, he does, he does this. Come on, putt. <laughs> he gets a practice putt. Then he's ready to putt. Everybody's got to be real quiet. Shh. You can't even blow your nose. You can't even swallow unless you hear. And so he's over here. He's like, uh, he's doing this. Look at the hole. He's doing his just. And then he backs off. <laughs> Come on. And does this again. Okay. He's like this. Got to keep the arm straight. Get the shaft stiff. Just just move it like that. Don't do that. Don't wipe it. Just, just keep it stiff like that. And then finally he's going to put it. And he hits the ball. Everybody's watching. The ball goes like this. And he misses it. The ball just comes on the hole like that. And then it just goes like that. Just enough to miss it. Or it comes just enough and it stops just before it. And it hangs on the edge like that. And the guy does this. Everybody's cheering. They're stomping. And, the ball, and I've seen the ball after five seconds just all of a sudden. It's like weird. It's like a demon in the ball. A spirit. And sometimes you miss it, and it's so disappointing because he lost that match worth $1,500,000 first prize by one stroke. You know what happens to that player? Pressure. The pressure in his head. The nerves. He's got the skill, but it's getting to his head. He's just nervous. If I miss this putt, oh man. Oh, I can't miss this putt. He's sweating. He, he just is so full of Anxiety, the emotion, the hour, the moment is so big. If I get it, I'm a winner. If I don't, I'm a loser. No, you're not a loser. But he thinks that he is. Pressure is when you need to remember God's word in your life. Now, you're not putting for a million dollars. You're not doing anything like that. But in your daily routine of life, all kind of things happen that upsets you. I will tell you that I live in the same world that you live in. And when things upset me like it upsets you, you have the tendency to just blow it. Am I telling the truth? No, you look at me, see, you, you acting so sophisticated, but just so, you know, like nonchalant, like, no, it's not me. It's must be somebody else that gets upset, not me. Yes, you get upset. You do. It's at that moment you want to guard yourself and remember what God said about certain things. A man who is trusting in God does not forget his words. Number two, look at verse number two. Verse number two and verse number four. A man who is really trusting in the Lord, verse number two, 
for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Look at verse 4. So shalt thou find favor with and good understanding in the sight of God and men. Now those two verses are good verses. They are not promises, but they're good verses. They're not promises that if you are trusting in God, you'll have a long life, you'll have good days, you'll have peace. It's not promising you that if you are trusting in God, you love favor and good understanding in the sight of God and of man. It's not promising you that. It's a general statement that is true. It does happen and it can happen to you. The odds of you having a good life, the odds of you having a longer life, the odds of your life that being cut short, the odds of you having fair with people and with God is very real. But it's not a guarantee that's going to happen just because you're trusting in God. What happened to John Bunyan? Well, who's John Bunyan? Oh, he invented the banyan tree. The banyan tree, I don't know. <laughs> who's John Bunyan? Well, you know, he was a man who believed in the Lord and he was in prison for his steadfast to not obey the government when he said, don't preach. And he preached anyway. And he got in cars for 13 years. And he wrote Pilgrim's Progress in prison. Now, here's a man who trusted in God, but he wasn't in favor of man. Nobody liked him. His own family didn't like him. But he was in favor with God, but not with man. So practically speaking, this is not a guarantee, but it is a possibility. You remember in the Bible, in Nebuchadnezzar's time, in uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew young boys, they were trusting in God. Daniel prayed with his window open when he was told not to, and he did it anyway. It was like he wanted to prove something, and he was not going to shut the windows and pray in secret. And because he thought, oh, I'll just be what I am. And so he, he prayed openly, did not bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar and some wrathness in the empire squealed on him, some haters of this man of God. And uh, he got in prison, uh, got thrown in the lion's den. And then the three Hebrew boys got thrown in a fire furnace. I call it, they got deep kimchi. And so they got in real hot trouble. Uh-huh. Because they trusted in God. <laughs> they trusted in God. So the scripture here is a general statement. It's a principle. It's not a promise. Okay? Not a verse like this in Proverbs. It's not a promise. It is a general statement. You can, you can get some blessings is what I'm going to tell you. You can get some blessings. Have you ever seen cards that says on the bumper sticker, blessed, or in the windshield, blessed, blessed, blessed? It's, it's people who are Christian. They want to be, let everybody know that God is blessed. Yeah, I'm blessed. I got this car because I'm blessed. I got this because I'm blessed. Okay, I understand the intent of that, that God is good. He blesses people. And he does. But sometimes in his, how God treats us, his children, he allows us to go through experiences that to us are not so blessed. But I understand the intent. And I'm saying to you that you don't forget his words. If you trust in him, if you trust in him, you will get some blessings. Longer life is possible. Longer life is possible. Good days are possible. Well, how do you get a longer life? How does your life get extended? Well, because if you're trusting God, you don't do a lot of bad things to yourself. You don't get into a place of hurting yourself. You don't do things that are bad for you and others. And that's how you could possibly have a longer life by just being obedient to the Bible and not doing stupid things. You know, most people get in trouble because they do stupid things. You know, a lot of Micronesians that come to Hawaii and others from the Pacific, you know what they do? They come to Hawaii, oh, whoa, oh, wow, oh, look at all these bars, oh, look at all this, oh, man, wow, look at this, 7-Elevens, wow, oh, wow, you know, and they get, they go crazy. And then uh, you get a little click going on, a little plan going on, a little gang thing going on, and then they get drinking and they do dumb things. They get in trouble all the time, it seems like. They just, they just don't understand that blessings are possible, but you cannot do bad things and expect good things to happen. Um, as the crowd today says, you feel me? You feel me? You know, there was a, an emphasis on a certain way of living at Capillary Park. They had flag football for a certain kind of people. And I would never use that statement around them. You feel me? I wouldn't do that around those people. I wouldn't do that. Wicked stuff. Well, listen, uh, I want you to know that if you trust in him, you don't forget his word, and you can get some blessings. Now, I want you to come to Mark 16, 
a well-known passage that has been taken out of its context all the time by people, even some Baptists. Mark chapter 16. I want you to know in the, in the thought of getting a blessing, here's what this one well-known pastor said about this scripture. A Baptist pastor, independent Baptist pastor. Mark 16. It is not new to us, but I want to point out this. In Mark chapter 16, in verses 17 and 18, if you have read this at all, you know that these signs were for Jewish people, and these signs shall follow them that believe. My name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall not take up service, and they shall drink any different thing. It shall not hurt them. That part about verse 3, they shall not, it shall not hurt them. That part was taken by a well-known Baptist pastor who is now gone off the scene. He said this, that is true for those who practice verse number 15. Go back to verse 15. He said unto them, Go ye to all the word and preach the gospel to every creature. And he's connecting it like this. If you are a soul winner, if you are a soul winner, if you are a consistent soul winner, then you can go through life soul winning and you will not be hurt by anything. That is how he took this scripture. You know, it's totally wrong. Because he was emphasizing one thing, the soul winning part. And he said, if you do this activity, which is the right thing to do. If you do this, God will protect you because he said so. But that's not what he said. Okay, that's not intended for what he intended it for. I know a lot of people who are soul winners, they get into all kinds of trouble. Not because they make trouble, but because of the nature of this world. And so it is not quite as it is said, how it has been explained. And so... You can get some blessings, but you got to remember that they are general statements, and God certainly can bless you if you do right. The old saying is, you can't do right and get away with it. You can't do right and get away with it. You cannot live right and do right and not face some consequences. Consequences can be negative or it can be good. If you do right, if you do right, if you trust God, you do right, it's likely... I cannot guarantee it's likely God will be in favor of what you're doing and he might bless you answer some of your prayers. That's what I would say and that is true. However, it's not a guarantee. But I'd rather be under the umbrella of God maybe bless me because I live right than be out of that and say, you know what, how can I expect God to bless me if I'm living in sin? That ain't going to work. It's not going to work. So, Trust is the key word in this chapter. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. He can bless you, protect you, honor your faith. But it's not a guarantee 100%. Verse 3. If you trust in the Lord, you make God's word important to you. Verse number 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Now, I'm going to tell you this, that if you are trusting in the Lord, you will make his words important to you. You will place great value upon his words. You will cherish his words. You will think a lot about his words. You will make it important to you. Now, if you own a car, maybe you're not like me, but if, because I own a car, I do this. When I lock my car, beep, beep, I always have a habit. It's, it's, almost uh, involuntary. I do this. I try to look at my car. I don't know if you guys do this or not, but I do that. Click, click. I look at my car, get as if this is going to protect my car better by looking at it. You know? I do that because I own that car. I don't want the car to get scratched. I don't want someone to, you know, and I want to make sure this locked. So I click, click, and I pull on the handle. Okay, it's locked. I'm not sure I walk, but I still turn back and look at it because I own it. It's mine, and I want to be sure that, at least in my mind, I did everything I could to protect it from breaking into kind of thing. Now, when it comes to the Christian and his Bible, if we say we trust the Lord, we also make important to us the Word of God. We cherish it. We value it like I value the car. Look, that car that I have now, it replaced the old Camry. It's a good car. I've learned to love this car. The kids learn to love the car. I don't like always hauling them around. I don't really always love that. But uh, I keep the car clean. I do what I can. I'm not obsessed with it. But because I am the one who is responsible for the car, I want to be sure that it's not going to be hurt unnecessarily. I cherish, I value it. But wait a minute. That is to explain that if you trust in God, 
He ought to value something too that he values. You have to trust his word because he values his word. You have to cherish the Bible because he does it as well. All right? You cannot just take this book like another book in your library. It's not important to read it today because I'm tired. It's not important to read it now because I got other things to go to. I'm so busy. I, I don't have time for this. You don't really treasure it. You don't really value it. It's not important to you. If something's important to you, you make time for that that's important to you. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Oh, yeah, it's true. True, it's true. It is true. I always make time to cook. My wife always makes time to cook because, ta-da, it's important to both of us. I always make time to watch this from my wife, ta-da, because it's important for my wife to give her an extra half and I do something else with the kids or whatever, see? We all do, we always get time. I always have time to take a shower. You know why? Because I like being clean. You know, I cannot take a nap. I cannot sleep if my ankles are sticky from humidity or walking, whatever. I gotta, it's important. Whatever's important to you, you do. If the word of God is important to you, you will value it, you will treasure it, you will cherish it. You're not going to forget it. You will make it important as well. You will hide God's word in your heart that you won't sin against him. And so you will make it of great value. No warmer commercial here. But you make it of great value. Oh, how I love thy law. Psalm 119, says, It is my meditation all the day. Look. If you love something, you think about it more than once a day, don't you? I've met people who love food so much, they always ask, well, uh, where's a good restaurant to eat this and eat that? I say, I have no idea. I don't eat out a lot. I just eat out at home. <laughs> and I say, I'm not going to, I don't want to pay the price that restaurants are charging now. You know, they can't help it maybe, but I'm not willing to pay the extra three for a lot just because, just because, just because. But um, uh, if, you, if you love something, you think about it. My wife thinks about me. My wife thinks about me. When I'm not at home, she thinks about me. She texts me, how are you doing? You know why she thinks about me? Because she loves me. I understand that. I know why she loves me. Because I'm adorable. You, you know, you people are really on the borderline of being frigid. You know that? You're in the borderline of just being robotic. So she thinks about me more than just one time. She says she loves me. I kiss her, she kisses me. And we don't say I love you just one time a day. Okay, we fill the quota. We said more often than that. She says that to me more than I said to her. Because I'm a man. I just show her. I don't tell her. And she tells me and she shows me. More than one time. We think about things together. We think about things together so much that we almost think alike about some things. But uh, it's because we meditate upon the same things. And when you meditate upon the Word of God and you love it, you think about it more than just one time. If you're trusting in Him, you're going to connect circumstances to the Bible. Meditation, you think about something. If you think about something, you see it in something else. You know, Jesus said, Behold the fowls of the air. He connected that to something spiritual. Behold the grass of the field, flowers of the grass. Solomon, all of his glory is not red like these. You know, there was a lesson there spiritually. The Lord Himself looked at nature and He drew spiritual lessons from it. His mind was always on the scriptures. And it showed in how he told parables and how he taught lessons. You need to look at your life, look at your circumstances, look at things around you. Look at things through the lens of scripture. So if this is scripture, look at life through the lens of scripture. Meditate upon life through the lens of scripture. Now without the lens of scripture, to me, you're a blur. There's a bad day when I got glasses. This back in, I don't know how many years ago, I got single vision lenses. That was a bad day prescription when I got glasses. One day I spent softball in town with Stan and others from church, and it was a night game. A ball was hit to me. I looked up. I couldn't see the ball. Everything was a fuzz, a reflection, a glowing, like there was something in the air. The street lights were fuzzy. First time in my life. Looked at the ball coming. I'm panicking. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Where's the ball? I had to guess where the ball was. It was about that time I realized I need to get my eyes checked and uh, found out that I had to get glasses. When I got glasses for the first time, everything seemed so sharp. I could see much better. I could see into the horizon very sharp. Everything was sharp to me. I saw much better when I put my glasses on. 
you need to look at life through the lens of the scripture. Things that are, why did they do that? Why is this country doing that? Why is the government doing that? Why do you think that? Why see, you put this on, you stop guessing. Now I know why they're doing this. Now I know why they're behaving this way. Now I know why they think this. It's because you have been looking at life circumstances through the glasses of the scriptures. Why is my kid like this? Why is my wife? Why is my husband? Why are they doing this? How come? It's much more clear now with the lens of the scriptures. Do you see what I'm saying? Meditate upon the scriptures. It'll help you see things from a different perspective. Not just, he's a nasty guy. He's a nasty guy. Oh, he's so mean. Oh, that guy, that woman, oh man, they're foul. Well, that's what you see. That's what you see. But you begin to understand when you put this on. You begin to meditate upon something through the scriptures. Now it makes sense. Now believe it or not, this Bible can read the thoughts and intents of your heart. Hebrews 4.12. That thing is like a scalpel dissecting you, dissecting your head, opening your brain up, opening your heart up, and revealing everything before the world. Not literally. But you get to understand things because you're meditating upon the word God and associating it with the Bible. Oh, oh, are you woke? Are you woke? Are you woke? We're not woke because we believe the Bible. We're not what the, this generation is like. We're just the opposite. What the world calls beautiful and wonderful, we don't. They have now, I don't want to get... I don't want to say things that's not proper for church, but I just saw when I opened up my browser something about um, the hula. They're going to have um, men doing like women, and they're going to make a big deal about that. They have art museums that promote a particular lifestyle because they feel the pressure of people hating on them. And so they have to comply lest they be uh, attacked by the media, by people physically protesting. Do you know that there are some people that glue themselves to art? So famous artworks by, I forget, a guy glued himself over here and another person glued himself over here. They're protesting that we weren't doing enough for climate change. So they glue themselves to a piece of art. They're so concerned about this climate, this earth being destroyed by mankind. You know how dumb that is? How impossible it is for mankind, little mankind, to destroy the planet, this earth? You know how impossible that is? Now you might think it's possible because you see one, one industrial city belong all this smoke. That's nothing. How big is that city compared to the vastness of this earth? 24,000 miles in circumference. I mean, how, 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 how can one little, no, um, Mount St. Helens blow up. Boy, it was the end of the world then, wasn't it? All that stuff in the air, it blew away. It blew away in the jet stream and everything else. Nothing happened to it. Air's still good. But if you, if you don't think through the lens of the scripture, you might bite all these kind of things. That's why the Christian will always be like a stick in the mud when it comes to these social political issues. We will never agree what's going on. How could you? If you know what's going to happen in the tribulation, I just let it go. You know what's going to happen already over there. Everything cannot protect and God destroys it in the tribulation. What good did all those zillions of dollars do to protect, protect this planet? Okay. Meditate upon the word of God. Make it important to you. And then look at verse 5. If you trust in the Lord with all thine heart, then look at verse number 5. Lean not, verse 5, lean not unto thine own understanding. Okay, here's a real personal verse. Lean not unto thine own understanding. If you're trusting in Him, the Lord, and His Word, you don't lean unto your own understanding. In other words, you don't overrule His mind with your mind. What? You don't overrule God's mind through His Word with your mind and through your understanding of things. I mentioned about being woke and all that. That's all part of that too. Now, you don't contradict the scriptures with your own understanding, with your own thinking. And when you do that, keep doing that, you end up like in Romans chapter 1. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. What happens to a society, what happens to a country, what happens to a person 
What happens to a home when they override the word of God with their own thinking is nothing good happens from that. Nothing good happens. Romans 1 is a picture of exactly what happens to one individual and then several others and several others. And pretty soon the whole population of this world becomes like that because they've overruled what God said with their own feelings and thinking. Nothing good happens that way. Just read Romans 1 again and see what happens when people overrule God's will, God's mind with their will and their mind. Nothing good happens. Let me emphasize. Nothing. Nothing good happens when you overrule God's word with your own words, with your own thinking. It never gets any better. Things do not spiral upward when you have your own way over God's way. Things always spiral downward. That's the physics of it. It never goes the other way. It always goes down. It always goes down. You better be careful that you don't let your own understanding, your own wisdom, contradict what the Bible says about anything. Because eventually, if you tolerate that and you embrace that and you live it out, you will go down. The process of backsliding begins in here. Slowly, but it happens, and pretty soon you justify your actions, and pretty soon you begin to despise the Bible, pretty soon you begin to resent it, pretty soon you say, you know what, that's just a man-made book. It goes like that, but it goes slowly. If you trust him, you won't override his mind with yours. And so, example, when it comes to personal salvation, well, I think Jesus is okay, but I think Buddha is also okay. Did you know that eight of the ten largest statues are of Buddhas in the world? Of the ten largest statues in the world, eight of them are to giant Buddhas. I saw one in China. It's unbelievably big. The ears are like, I mean, uh, 20 feet tall, the ears alone, the feet. I got a picture of me next to one in some grotto in China. That thing is huge. Eight of the ten largest statues in the world are to Buddhas. Well, I, I, I kind of think that they don't think that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation, don't you? I kind of think they think their way, their understanding supersedes Jesus Christ. What the Bible says about him, leaning unto their own understanding. Well, but it is written, the Bible says, it is written. Uh, what about eternity? Well, have you ever been there? Well, of course not. I know one man who went there. Came back, didn't write about it, didn't talk about it. He was forbidden to. Didn't write a book, didn't go on a world uh, tour, sign autograph books. By the way, did you know that one boy who was a, one boy who said he had gone to heaven, later on said, no, I, I made it all up. I made it all up. No kidding. Publishers just ran to him, gave him all kinds of money, became well known. But then later on he says, ah, oh, just to tell him a story. Better be careful what you believe. Be so quick to make a buck. Well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That sounds too easy to me. I think I've got to add to that. That's leading to your own understanding when it comes to salvation. It can't be that easy. I have to really, 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 really repent. I mean, really, 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 really repent. I mean, i got to really, really repent now and every day of my life. i got to really, really prove to God I'm sincere by really, 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 really repenting. Yeah, that's kind of hard to do. My friends, to just believe what the Bible says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But no, that's too simple. You are overruling the word of God with your own words. It always doesn't work out. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways. Your ways, said the Lord. And so uh, here's something I always try to harp on. That is one of the most dangerous things that can happen to anybody when it comes to not overrun the word of God with their own words, own thoughts, that there is the biggest thing that will sink you or if you get victory over this, it's going to be good for you. I always say that do right, not because you feel like it, but because it's the right thing to do. If you say, I will do right when I feel like it, you'll never do right because you never feel like it. Does that make a little bit of sense? Yes, it makes a little sense.
You got a nice tune that can play to wake people up, Francis. A nice sad <laughs> sound. You got a you got electric guitar can do like a get your attention. All right, good night, folks. Your feelings will lead you the wrong way. It'll mislead you. Your feelings. I don't feel it. Uh, okay, so what? What does the word of God say? But I don't feel it. Why are you your feelings? Well, because because of what? Folks, it's the worst thing you can do is go by your feelings. Go by what the Word of God says. I don't feel like I'm saved. Well, there could be reasons for that. I mean, you got to address that. But basically, what did the Bible say in regards to His response to you if you call upon His name? Faith over your feelings. And so do not override His mind with your mind if you are trusting in Him. Now... Uh, your mind can tell you all kinds of lies. Now look, let me tell you this. This is a little bit important. A little bit important. You, watch this. You actually can lie to yourself and tell yourself a lot of things that's not true about a situation. Now listen carefully. You can lie to yourself. You can tell yourself, because I have done this. I don't do it anymore, but if I had acted up what I thought or felt, I have no marriage. Now, now you, you think that we have a good marriage because we do. Some would even say, what I want, and that is all true. But it wasn't always that way. Let me draw you a little graph here, a little, not a graph, but a little line here. Okay, this is uh, 1977, and this is 2022. That's a lot of years. Now, do you know that along the way, along the way, I've had thoughts not of, not of killing her, but of, why did I marry her? You say, what? No, why, why can't I be honest in church? People say, well, you know, don't, don't talk like that because people don't have confidence. I just tell you this, along the way, before we get to over here, way over here, somewhere along the way, feelings, feelings, feelings of, I married the wrong girl. It was because of certain things that made me think that, made me feel that. And because I was the foolish, ignorant, self-centered man, husband, I thought, you know, maybe we should have a serious talk somewhere along here. You know what that's about? It's about this. Overriding everything the Bible says. Selfish, hard-headed, stubborn, stupid, all the other S's that can match it. Had I acted on my feelings, then I would say all the blessings that came down over here would be forfeited. All gone. All gone. All gone. Had I bailed out because of my feelings. I'm going to tell you folks, if you ever believe anything I tell you, do not trust your feelings. Right. I don't feel... Stop telling yourself about the feelings as if, just as if it is legitimate. You don't feel good, do you? Do you feel, you don't feel excitement, you don't feel happiness, you don't feel joy, you don't feel, you don't have any tingly sensations up and down your spine. You get no goosebumps. You must not really, whatever. Well, I will tell you, I speak from experience that uh, don't, do not let your feelings override what the Bible says. You know the Bible tells me? In, in my case, back over here, in my case, over here, forbearance. Me, forbearance with Miranda. Wait a minute. She's the one who didn't cook it right. Me, have patience with her. What are you talking about? She's the one who ignored me. You know, my biggest complaint to her when I was a young husband was this. She would never offer me a second glass of what I was drinking for dinner or lunch. <laughs> now, you know that little small, that small little thing was so big to me because I always saw her doing that toward her father. And I thought to myself, boy, I married her, I get waiting like a king. Oh boy. <laughs> it didn't happen like that. So that one, one little simple thing caused all that grief over here. Can you believe that? How petty that was? Look back, look back, look back, look back and say, what a jerk. What a jerk you are to think those thoughts just because of that. 
I look back and think, it's a wonder, it's a wonder, it's a wonder that she even stuck with me. It's a wonder. Such pettiness, such baby, childish stupidity, self-centered. Unbelievable. But I thought that, I believe that. My feeling said, you don't care for me. <laughs> she tried real hard to care for me. She tried real hard to please me. She cooked one time spam. She was so proud she made spam for me. Way back over here somewhere. Maybe the first year she cooked spam for me because they spam. <laughs> she diced it up in little chunks. She put pineapple around it. She baked it. She was so proud of that spam dinner. She was so proud of that. She's a holly from South North Carolina. She was so proud to bake spam with pineapple. She thought I would love it. I looked at that thing. She pulled out of the oven. Dinner's ready. She was so proud. Oh, she was so proud. She was so proud. I looked at that thing and said, what is that? No one's ever made me bake spam and pineapple. But she did. And she was so happy. She was so proud. She sat down. But the praise. She was so. And I looked like this. Like, what in the world is this? Looks like liver to me. <laughs> and she was so hurt. She was so disappointed. I was so stupid. I was so eager. I was so. Feelings oriented. I'm going to tell you this. Do not let your kids override what the Bible says. Never do that. Never do that. Never do that. Now, if you really trust the Lord, verse number six. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Don't ignore him. Recognize him. Make it a point to yourself that he is your God. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. And just do not forget him. Acknowledge him. Acknowledging someone is so simple as when you are with your children or with your wife or spouse and you meet someone somewhere, maybe at the mall or somewhere, and you haven't seen him for a long time, and you say, hey, how's the job? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? I'm doing good, good, good. And uh, this guy's with his wife or and his kids. And uh, yeah, hey, hey, uh, I want you to meet my wife. You know what that is? He has acknowledged his wife in front of me. And this is my daughter. What has he done? He's acknowledged his daughter to me. And this mother's child. Oh, he has acknowledged four people to me. You know why he did that? Because he respects them, he loves them, and he wants to acknowledge them in front of somebody else. You know what this acknowledgement thing is all about? In everything in your life, he says you acknowledge him. In all thy ways, that covers a lot of things. In all the ways, acknowledge him. Uh, Lord, I'm tempted to, well, you're acknowledging him at least. But if you just do it like this, I want to buy that. I'm just going to buy it. I got a credit card. I'm just going to buy it. Did you stop to acknowledge him? I want to go here. I'm just going to go do it. Did you stop to acknowledge him? So that's how it plays out in life. It's very practical. And I'll tell you this. If you stop to acknowledge him, you might make better decisions have a more peaceful life if you acknowledge him in all things. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Acknowledging God is to say, He is my owner. Yes, owner, not in slave work, slave talk. Why people think you acknowledge that He is your Lord? You acknowledge Him as your Lord. And you just don't do anything you want to without asking him for permission. Permission. I need to hurry up here because I um, don't want you to fall asleep anymore. You might as well sleep at home. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him is to say you recognize his ownership. Like it can play something on the streets and put on a hat, people throw money at me. Well, maybe I'm a great ukulele player, but really I'm not. But uh, now, Francis, if I took this ukulele of yours, this is pretty expensive, looks like. Ooh, smells real. If I took his ukulele and just ran off with it, ask, answer me this question <coughs> What does he think about me? If it wasn't you, a stranger, what would he think? No, spit it out. What would he think about me who took his ukulele without his permission? What am I to him? 
a thief. Do you agree I'm a thief to him if I take without his permission? Yes or no? Yes. yes. I'm a thief to you because I didn't ask for your permission. This is not mine. It is yours. You know what? We take, we, we, we take our bodies. We take our bodies and do anything we want with it. Not realizing it's not our bodies to do with what yeah. we want. Yeah. It is not our bodies. Your body belongs to God. That's what it says. And you need to, you need to get permission before you take God's body and do whatever you want to do with it. If you actually believe that, that cuts a lot of monkey business in people's lives. You know why people do all kind of monkey business? They don't believe that's true. They think their body's there. I'm going to kill this baby in my womb because it's my body. It's my baby. I can do what I want with it. That's really a lie from the devil. But they believe that. Not true. You do not do it as if you have the right to do that. You acknowledge God's ownership. Um, if you went outside and your car is gone right now, you know what you would do? Call 911. That's what I would do. Because somebody took my car for a joyride without my permission. Now I'd call the cops on that person and have them thrown in jail. You ever think about what you think about? You ever think about what you think about? This is God's. You ever think about what your eyes look at and meditate upon? You know, pornography is a real problem with men more than women. You know, people just do stuff. Men just do stuff without thinking. You ever think about what you think about? Uh, these eyes belong to somebody. You say it belongs to me. Yeah, right. Well, no one's around. No, 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 no. The hands, and you go through the whole body, the, all of the limbs, they all belong to God. But people don't think that way. They just think it's my right to do with what I want to with my body. Uh, the body belongs to God. How do you talk? What do you listen? See these two ears over here? So much that comes into these ears, the input over here affects this, affects this. Do you realize that? The music you listen to affects you in such a huge way, it's almost like, don't you see it? Now, in the mornings, I get my phone, I go to YouTube, I play some nice hymns. <laughs> sometimes it's just orchestration, sometimes it's uh, a choir sing or a duet or a trio. I like to hear voices blend together, I like to hear men sing. We listen to that in the morning, I'm doing breakfast, thing. it just puts us in a good mood. If I put on ACDC, well, are they still around? <laughs> If I put on some heavy metal, are they still doing that? If I put on today's music, I mean, I'll be doing... <laughs> I'll be burning down the house. I'll be so agitated. Uh, what goes in affects your thinking. You have to, maybe what you, what you really need is to play some good music in your home. Put those things on. What are you listening to? Oh, oh, nothing. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to nothing, how can you pull it right off? Just do, oh, nothing, nothing. You just know something. It affects your thinking. It affects your well-being. It affects your spiritual life. It affects your relationship to God. It does. This, this, all these things. You need to be a little bit smarter as a Christian and trust the Lord. And if you do, you acknowledge His ownership. And then, oh, do I have time for this? I have time for one more thing. You know what? How long have I been preaching, Hugh? How long have I been preaching? Do you have a counter there? How long? About five minutes. Okay, I'm done. You can't take no more. I can do some more next time. But it comes from this chapter. See, I'm not going to disrespect you by saying, I don't care what you do. I'm going to preach for another hour. I wouldn't do that. I mean, maybe in a bunch with a bunch of preachers, they might do that to each other, you know, but then they get hungry too, you know. You know, preachers, when they get hungry, they get cranky, and they don't listen. When preachers get hungry, they, you know, amen, amen, brother, amen, amen, yeah, amen, 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 yeah, amen, brother. Preach on, they don't mean it. They don't mean it. I wish you'd shut up. Man, life. Cracker Brothers going to be full. The long's going to be longer. Oh, man. Oh, come on, come on, come on. One time I was preaching, I was the first one, the second guy after me. I was told 25 minutes. I respect because I'm a guest, I spoke for 20, uh, I spoke for 21 minutes. I sat down, next I came up, he had 25 minutes, you know how long he preached? One hour. 
one hour. This guy was going on and on and on, and I'm thinking, hey, this isn't fair. I, I obeyed the law, 25 minutes, I did 21. I mean, being a good guest, this guy's going on for one hour. He's trying to make a real serious point about something, dragging it out, and it was like, so you know what? I'm done for now, <laughs> but I'm not done because next week I'm gonna continue about another thing in this chapter that is good for us. Everything I've told you is good for us. If you practice it, it's good for you. If it goes like this over here, it means nothing. Well, that was good, that was good, that was good. If you don't practice it, it's really not any good for you. As a matter of fact, it gives you more accountability to God for what you heard and understood. And if you don't do it, you're more accountable for that. That's how it goes. All right. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word. We pray that you would help us to cherish it, love it, and practice it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.